Uh, last Sunday, that was the church service that I got a chance to be a part of with Dustin, Dr. Dustin back here, as uh, we were a little ways from home. That's a long, that's a few long plane rides away. And uh, man, it's good to be back home. Um, I wanted to thank you as a church for letting us go over there and see what the Lord is doing. Uh, and also look at some ways that we can partner and minister with them as they're continuing to share the good news of Jesus. Um, we are continuing our sermon in just a little bit in Matthew chapter 5, and I believe it ties in I mean, really well with all this. But I did want to give just a couple of, of updates from that trip. Um, we, a lot of you were here Wednesday night, and some of this might be repetitive. You might have heard some of this before. Um, but I just wanted to share, man, just what the Lord's doing in, in Uganda. Um, Uganda's in Africa, if you didn't know. Uh, it's in the middle of Africa, real close to the equator. We tried to figure that one out for a while, just why it gets dark sooner. I'm not, is, I didn't pay attention in astronomy class. It's a whole thing, but um, it's in uh, middle Africa, uh, in between the countries of Sudan, the Congo, and Kenya, um, in a very, very isolated group. Uh, in the Christian world, right? We, this is what we would call an unreached people group. Less than 2% of the population has ever heard the name of Jesus before, ever. In a government-type stance or even a non Christian setting, I would venture to say that this is a very unreached group in that they are very remotely isolated from the rest of the world. So, so many times it was kind of hard to take that in as we would just experience something new and think, I don't think many people in the world have ever seen these types of things. It's almost like going back in time hundreds of years. A couple of fun facts about it, a couple of pictures, one more video, and then I'm just going to bring the, it's going to be fire and brimstone after that, all right? But, um, <laughs> First, I did want to let you know, the city that we were in is called Kabong. It's a little village area. The name Kabong, translated to English, means the place where the old men sit down. <laughs> and it's kind of where old men sit down. It works out really well. A couple of fun facts about this group, just as we break this ice. One, they are an unreached group. They're very isolated from the rest of the world. Um, two, um, men hold hands in this group. I know, we're just jumping in the deep end of the swimming pool. When we were in the airport, I didn't know that it was the cultural thing for men to hold hands. So Dustin and I kept looking around and saying, okay, we're going to learn a lot. You know, this is going to be a big mission trip. Here we go. Um, but we got there and found out the do, man, just, just a, a way to do that. But also, which is interesting, men just as friends, just, just a way of showing affection. But women and men, even women or men that are married, are strictly prohibited from showing any PDA at all. So no wedding rings, husbands and wives and dating couples don't sit next to one another, completely isolated from each other in public settings. So it's hard to kind of figure out like who goes with who. That's kind of hard to see. Another fascinating thing is that jumping is a big deal when it comes to people in worship services and having a good time. We were in one village, I'll show a video in just a little bit, um, where the, the women pretty much just challenged the men to a jump off, you know, and I was like, I can jump for a little bit. That sounds fun. And one guy said, how long can you jump? And I was like, like 30 seconds probably. And he said, I can jump for 17 minutes. Now, like us, that we're about to lose this just jump off right here. But um, really interesting to see that um, we were able to do malaria tests in a number of villages. Um, this area is so remote. Access to medical care um, in any form or fashion is very limited. Um, if you know me, I don't do well with the sight of blood. I'm a, I'm a passer-outer. I'm not going to lie to you, but uh, I pricked some fingers, and I got the blood, and I didn't pass out one time. One fascinating thing um, from that is that the missionary shared with us that the type of malaria we were testing for 
um, is actually very, very deadly. Um, it affects children mostly. And in the two or th four or five villages that we visited, we probably had 15 or so that tested positive for malaria that we were able to give medicine to who are still thriving right now. But knowing that if a medical team had not come in, many of those young people would already not be here um, today. Um, so we did malaria clinics. We were able um, to go to a few different worship services. I've got some pictures I want to share with you this morning. Uh, the first is just of one of the villages, what the village actually looks like. So if you're flying in a really nice first-class plane like we did from the capital to the village that had four seats in it, and one of those was the pilot, like this is what you look out over the landscape and you, you just see everywhere. Um, there's these little villages that are completely isolated from the rest of the world. They have a circular kind of fence hedge of protection around them that's made of local brush and thorns. And then you go in through these little doors. I don't speak Karamajong very well. We had translators. But you don't need to speak Karamajong to laugh at a white guy trying to fit through a doorway this big, you know. So that happened and we broke the ice, but the doorways to get in. As you see there, there's lots of little hedges within that outer circle most of those are family units. Uh, many of the men in these areas have multiple wives. So they will have um, a compound similar to this where each wife um, or at least a few different brothers and all of their wives will split that area. And on the inside, you see the large um, grassy area. That's where the cattle and the sheep and the, the goats are brought in. Cattle is seen as a form of exchange of currency, primarily when um, you're marrying off your daughters um, to other men in neighboring villages. So the cattle are, are really big there. Here's a couple of pictures just of what some of the people wear. Um, I brought one of these on Wednesday night. That's a man on this side wearing the asuka. It's just like a long blanket kind of thing, and it's really, really pretty sharp. Asuka and a tall hat. Um, and then a couple of the kids. Um, sunflowers are big, not just for scenery. They actually eat the seeds right out of the sunflowers. There's a kind of a snack there. Here's a couple more pictures as we look through some of these. This was taken after our first malaria clinic. Um, some of the folks I said, man, let's get a picture. Somebody asked me, did you wear a collared shirt every day? And I said, yeah, I did, because I'm just a classy guy. It's either classy or nerdy. We're not sure which way we're going with that yet. But as you look at this, that's me there and Dr. Dustin there on the other end. Um, we did a number of malaria clinics where we would just go into these villages um, and, and set up shop and start doing tests. Um, it's amazing. You get there and usually people come out to meet you. If not, you start singing some songs. All the songs that we sang were written by first-generation Christians in Karamajong. They're like the John and Charles Wesley of the modern day. They're writing their own hymns. We would sing the songs and the people would come out um, to meet us. Here's a picture of some of the kids, one of the young girls. Um, is wearing that same asuka, but she wears it around her waist. And a lot of the moms would wear that around their backside to carry the kids like snug as a bug in a rug. You know, they'd keep them like tight there. Um, but pretty, pretty traditional, you know, as far as a lot of the kids that we saw when we were there. This was in one of the villages that we got to visit. Um, we, we, I, I don't speak the language. So if you've ever been to a place where you don't speak the language, sometimes it's hard to just sit and be and make up conversation. Um, thankfully, Dustin has a couple of cows here in the States. So he was able to pull out his phone and start showing pictures of cows and that kind of broke the ice. And they looked at me and they're like, cows? And they judged me just like y'all do. You know, they're like, this man can't handle cows? No. So I started sharing pictures of my kids and all kinds of stuff. Um, but at the end of that, Dustin was over here with all the men just having a blast. They're looking at cows and I had all the kids. And I, uh, um, I asked him when, a, when one man that spoke English 
said, uh, man, what can, I, what can I say to my church when I go back? And they all, all the kids started doing this. They just wanted to say hello, you know? So they started shaking their hands. Uh, so from a remote village in Karamajong, Uganda, there are kids who were saying hello to you. The reason we were in this village is because the day um, before, they have a clinic that the, the churches, local churches support. Nurses and doctors come in. It's a little more extensive where they can do some more medical care. Um, but while we were at that clinic, a local gold mine, um, which isn't run by a corporation, it's run by individuals that go with shovels and dig holes in the riverbed, um, had collapsed. Um, and a gentleman passed away um, because the hole that he was in had collapsed on him. So they came to the clinic, and there was nothing the clinic could do. Well, that evening, we didn't know, we were actually going to be at his funeral inside of his village. So the first picture I showed, we were inside one of those as we experienced that. Straight National Geographic, like completely completely different. Um, one other picture here is actually a picture of the shepherd boys. Um, in this culture, shepherding is huge. So once your son, if you got a son, reaches about the age of five, it's time for him to man up, take the cows or the goats, and, and go off and, and herd those guys. Everywhere we went, it was fun because these kids just had these sticks, and they were smacking those cows and goats and stuff and herding them around. But they actually are in a very remote area where there's not a lot of interaction with other people, very vulnerable to many, many terrible things. So what they've done is they've actually built this cattle arena where in the evenings, as the sun's getting ready to go down, a lot of these shepherd boys will bring their individual cows and goats and sheep into this arena so they'll at least all be in one place. In this area, raiding between other tribes and either other people from South Sudan have been coming in and pretty much like armed robberies, which goes one way here when we can at least call the cops or defend ourselves. But in Uganda, it's illegal to own firearms. So a lot of times you'll have these young boys, five, six, seven years old, who are confronted with men with AK-47s and can just do what they need. Um, so they've gotten these children together to try to have a little bit more security um, in the evenings as they get to these compounds. This next picture is a picture of the malaria clinic. That's one of the missionary's daughters. Her name is Abby. He has three, Abby, Ella, and Luke. He's got a great way of picking names. Now, this next picture here is another picture from the clinic where folks would just come out and let us prick their finger um, and test for malaria. I think I just have one more picture here. This is actually um, outside of the village where we attended the funeral. Um, where the church just this morning meets for um, worship service. This is, their, this is their worship arena. This is their building um, on this rock right outside of the village. At the end of one of the services, excuse me, one of the malaria clinics, we had gone into an area, I think Dustin was in that group, had gone in, shared the gospel, done a malaria clinic, and on the way back out, one of the village elders said, I want you to come back. Um, what do you need? And they said, well, just just a place to tell some stories. And he took him over to a piece of property that was his right outside of the village and said, this is yours. Come back as many times as you can. That became the seventh church in six months to be planted in this region. Now, how they're doing this is fascinating to me. They're not bringing in medical clinics and food giveaways and then asking people if they want to believe in Jesus. Because I would think most of us would say, yes, I want to believe in Jesus if you give that to me. They're going in the first day presenting a story, just one story, and they meet some medical needs, and they see how they're received. If they're received well, they commit to going back for another 10 weeks to share 10 more stories and really to begin to get in-depth with the local people. At the end of the 10-week period, then they begin to have conversations about salvation, becoming a follower of Jesus after people have had time to wrestle with if it's something they really want. We said this is one of the pictures here of the, the churches that has started 
Another fascinating thing um, is that this is being started by all local men in the Kiramajong tribe, ranging in age from 19 to 31. There's 13 of them that the missionary meets with every Sunday. It's a primarily illiterate group of people. They cannot read or write. So what is happening is they're sending these young men out to these remote villages to preach and teach. But how they're doing it is they get back together on Sunday afternoon, right after church is over, and the missionary teaches these young men the next Bible story, and they memorize it. They run through it a few times, they answer a few questions, and they practice it all week. So the sermon consists of a guy reciting a passage of Scripture and asking five questions at the end of it. I kept meeting people that have 60 or 70 chapters of the Bible memorized, and they can't even read or write. Something happens when you can't read it or write it, but you can hear it. Of the 13 missionaries, six of them are orphans, we found out. Excuse me, 13 pastors, six of them are orphans. Three of them are traditional orphans, meaning they were raised in a world without a mother or a father from early, early on. Three of them are cultural orphans, meaning one of their, their father likely remarried when they were very young, and his new wife decided to no longer care for the children, so they would be cast out. So Dustin and I, on a whim, the last night, said, what do these guys need? And they said, nah, most of these boys just want to finish high school. It was the craziest thing. I was watching these kids go out and preach. I'm talking bring it. I couldn't understand what they're saying, but you can sense it. In these villages. And at the end of it, they would come up. And you know if you're a good, like, if you're feeling or not, you're like, man, that was pretty solid, brother. And no, no abla. You know, and he's like, yeah, how many people did you have in church today? He's like, 175. You know, like, you could just tell. They were pumped because people were coming every week. We watched them come back. And I'm talking not just, do you believe God loves you? That's important. I'm talking intentional discipleship. Intense training. And at the end of it, I watched these kids go to the missionary and say, hey, Selvin, could you uh, give us a ride back to school? And he said, yeah, jump in the truck. I'll take you back to the boarding school. So we asked them what they need. And they said, most of these boys just want to finish high school. How much is that going to cost? For six kids, it was $960 to finish their last year of high school. So we went ahead and did that and trusted the Lord. And we said, you know what? If our church wants to help towards that, we can. If not, we're totally at peace. The first church that we were in, that we opened with church, had the dancing and singing, a lot of jumping. In the last three months, has lost 10 children to starvation in that one village. And they're growing. This Sunday, in one of the villages, y'all, I want to share this video. This is the poorest place I have ever been in my entire life. And today, they dug out a baptismal pool because they're baptizing new believers in this place. This is a cool video here. Somebody Wednesday night said, they are clapping on beat. I was like, yeah, that, that on beat is there. Um, but I just wanted to share, and then we're going to go in. I have eight minutes to preach a sermon. So if you've got lunch reservations, you might want to send a text or something. But um, a few people have asked, what's the biggest takeaway you have had? 
coming from, from Uganda, and I've prayed about that and talked to my wife about that, and I keep coming back. When it comes to the spiritual, something happens when we go back to the basics. Just a New Testament faith. Repent and believe. I'm an American and I'm a pastor, and I love both of those things a lot. But sometimes I get distracted. And it's not by bad things. Sometimes I get distracted by things that aren't as close to the main thing as they used to be. I kept looking around and asking Dustin, man, I feel like we're seeing a New Testament kind of thing, you know? Like just these young guys that are saying things like, I got a village they never heard of the gospel before. Let's go there next Sunday and preach it. And like, let's go. What do we got? Let's just figure it out. And they just run. And they're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ which consists of telling Bible stories and asking people to repent and believe. So today, as we come back here, two things. One, I want to get back to the main thing, which we're about to do for six minutes. And then also, I want to invite you next Sunday after 11 o'clock service, we're going to have a mission team meeting. We're believing in this church. Jesus says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, go everywhere and tell them all about me. A lot of us, most of us in this room will never go to Uganda, and I think that's totally okay. But we can serve and tell right here in Madison. We can serve and tell in Georgia and in the States. And for some, yeah, absolutely Uganda. Why? Jesus said to. So we're going to be faithful to that. As we're flirting, not flirting, <laughs> I don't know if I looked at my wife and said flirting. As we're thinking through, <laughs> help me, Lord, different focus. As we're, <laughs> good to be home. As we're looking through, um, this, I, I do want to address um, the next passage in, in the Sermon on the Mount. That was a weak transition, but we're going for it. Uh, Jeff started it last week, Sermon on the Mount, called the Beatitudes, when Jesus gives kingdom manifesto. He gives kingdom principles to live by. All right? He's just saying, you want to be like Christ? You want to have a heavenly mentality? Live by these principles. And he just preaches what even non-Christians call some of the greatest literature to ever be recorded in human history. It's phenomenal. And Jesus is just booming it. Just da 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 We have to ask ourselves today, are we choosing as a body of believers to live by a kingdom manifesto or our own manifesto? It's going to get preachy. Are we going to live by an American manifesto or a kingdom manifesto? Are we going to live by a selfish manifesto or are we going to live by Jesus' manifesto? And the choice is ours. In these villages, they teach these guys stories. And the story first one they teach is very simple. They taught it to me and I had a translator and I had to look at the translator at the end of that and said, brother, I want to mess this up so bad. I want to say what I need to say and then you make it sound good. He said, 100%. But this is the first story they taught us in the first of 10. It said all of us are on a journey. Some of those journeys are long and some of those journeys are short, but we don't know when that journey is going to end. The Bible says that there are two roads in this life, one that is wide and easy. You can do whatever you want on that road. In their context, they said you can practice witchcraft, you can be a drunkard, you can have multiple wives, do whatever you want. And that road leads to eternal destruction and death. The Bible says there's also a narrow road that is extremely difficult to follow. It's the way of Jesus. We know that at the end of that road, we will have eternal life with Christ. Now, some may ask, how do you get from the wide road to the narrow road? The Bible says that because of Adam and Eve, we all start out on the wide road, every one of us. Which is why God sent his son, Jesus, to live and to die on the cross to allow anyone who believes in him and repents of their sins to leave the wide road and join the narrow road. That's the whole first story. But to me, it fits perfect what we're talking about today. When Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. 
for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is your first Sunday at Lake Point, or one of your first, and you heard Blake and Jeff who brought it, and then you're thinking, I knew that preacher was going to go down this road, like, kind of heavy, but we're going to talk about it. Church, we can't stop addressing the fact that we all have sin in our lives. And that according to Jesus' kingdom manifesto, we're called to mourn over that sin. People have disagreed about what type of mourning this means. It can mean the mourning of a loss of a loved one, which is real. Jesus pays attention to our hurt. It can be the mourning over culture or the world or the direction the world's going. All of those things are true. But I believe, as do most people that have studied this, that this is specifically talking about us mourning the sin in our lives. The things that we have done to separate ourselves from God himself. To be reminded this morning that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to be saddened by the very things that sadden God. God grieves over the wretchedness of the world with Noah in Genesis. Jesus lamented over the disobedience of Jerusalem in Matthew. Jesus wept over the existence of death when he went to his friend Lazarus' funeral. We must, church, we must not laugh at or excuse that which causes God to mourn. We must not. And we live in a culture that is making a mockery of God and his teachings all the time. We must ask ourselves, if we are followers of Jesus, which road are we going to follow? Which standard are we going to live by? Got to ask ourselves some tough questions. When was the last time we wept over our sin? All right, that's a heavy question. When was the last time we wept over our sin? When was the last time we were broken over our own sin? Now, if I can confess to you, I get frustrated at the world. I look around a lot of time and say, this world's going somewhere in a handbasket, you know? Like, this is bad. I've said prayers when I have said things like, Lord, if you would just fix this group. If you would just remind this half of the country, if you would just remind all of these non-believers, if you would just remind this group of people who are doing these terrible things of who you are and what you have planned, then the world will get back on track. The only catch with that is I can't find a verse in here that calls me to start with those prayers. It calls me to start with a prayer that sounds different. And sounds more like, Lord, let me address the sin in my life. I don't like talking to God about my sin. It's not fun. Is sin fun? Can we be all? Yeah. How many of us, hang with me, how many of us in recent times have celebrated our sin with someone else? Woo, that was the best night we've had in years. Oh, sorry, newborn baby. Is she still sleeping? He's, sorry, that was the best night we've had in years. How many of us have bragged about a sin that this says is so wrong and breaks God's heart, but we may right now be bragging about it with somebody else? 
How many of us have been on social media of some sort or another in the last recent times and we're just hashtagging it away? And then all the while God says, why don't you talk to me about that stuff? Lord, that's a little more uncomfortable. No joke, because he's going to call us out on it. And yet Jesus says things like, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Now, I'm not saying we're supposed to be a bunch of Eeyores. If you know me, I like to have a good time. I like to laugh. Some of it's over my height insecurity and for lots of other reasons. Like, I just like to have a good time. I like to break the ice. I learned as an early age that if I could make people laugh, it could disseminate a tense situation really quickly. You want to soften an atmosphere? Tell a funny joke. You want to soften a conversation? Say something kind of silly. God has used it for good, but I had to learn to do it. But that doesn't negate the truth, the fact that I still, and that I like to laugh and have a good time. He actually says the word mourn. It's the same word used in the Greek that means to mourn the loss of a loved one. It's the same word used in the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. When Jacob finds out that his son Joseph, he thinks is dead, it says he mourned over the loss of his son because he thought he had lost his son forever. So I've got to ask myself, when was the last time I wept over my sin? Not just the sins of the culture, not just the sins of the world, mine. And then two follow-up difficult questions. If I can't remember, I'm preaching to myself right now. If I can't remember, I am running the risk of one of two things happening in my life. I may either be growing numb to those sins, or I may become perfect. Not perfect but I'm concerned that sometimes we grow numb. The world around us tells us everything is okay all the time. Wide is the road. Do whatever you want. What are we going to put on that blank for us? I don't know many people that are actively practicing witchcraft in our culture. Thank goodness. If you are, we need to talk. I don't know many people that have multiple wives, watch some like, documentaries, you know, now I do over and you got, but we're struggling with lots of other things. How many sins have we lost to numbness, church? One of my concerns for the next generations of Christians, God is good all the time. He has a plan. I'm not questioning that. But one of my concerns is they're not going to have anything else to grow numb to. Because we've grown numb to all of it. How many sins could you or me have lost to numbness? Could it be pornography? Could it be drunkenness? Could it be idolatry? Could it be homosexuality? Could it be God's definition of gender? Could it be pride? A neglect of the poor? Lying? Gossiping? Having hate in our hearts? Isn't it wild that even when a preacher reads a list like that, some of those things pop up and we're like, yeah, they need to hear that. But then we get to another word and you go, oh, snap. And yet Jesus says to focus on our own Why something happens when I mourn my sin. Something happens in my relationship to God and my relationship to other people when I'm willing to address and acknowledge that I am the greatest sinner I know. You want to go down a path that's going to lead you to destruction? Spend the rest of your days pointing out the sins of everybody else. Do everybody else have sins? Yes. Do we need to address those things? A hundred percent. But it starts with us before it's shared with others. Church, we are saved by the grace of God, which is a free gift through Jesus Christ, and we are to celebrate that, but we must acknowledge and mourn over the sin for which Christ died. 
Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were actively in our sin, Christ died for us. Why? Our sin crucified Jesus Christ on the cross. It's heavy. Your sin killed Jesus. My sin killed him. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, should be in constant mourning over what we have done to Jesus who died because of our sin. But I do not believe God wants us to walk around the world as people who are in constant mourning to the rest of the world. How do we balance that? To me, I try to mourn my sin. I'm trying to lay my heart out to God in my closet, in my prayer life, as I'm having conversations with him. To be reminded that the horror of our sin magnifies the beauty of Jesus' sacrifice. To know that the way to the joy of forgiveness is through the desperate sorrow of the broken heart. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Why? For they shall be comforted. What's the flip of that? If that's even the right way to say it. Not blessed are those who do not mourn. For they will not be comforted. But Jesus says, if I mourn my sin, I will be comforted. Why? I have mourned my sin at different times of my life. And in some of the heaviest moments of those where I am laid my heart out in an altar or at my house by myself or when me and my wife are praying and I'm just laying it out there. Where I have felt the holy comfort of Jesus himself who reminds me of what he has already done. To know that one of the reasons we mourn our sin is to be comforted by the Savior. When the devil or other people or my own mind begin to remind me of my sin that I've already confessed to Jesus. Have you ever had that happen in your life? Like you've messed up. You knew you messed up. You lay it at his feet. You ask him to forgive you. And then it comes back like a little whisper or someone else reminds you of it, or your mind starts going down that trail again. When those things happen to me, I and everyone who trusts in the Lord can rejoice and declare that the cross of Christ defines me now. His love is greater. Jesus is not waiting on a better version of us to save us. He wants all of us Right now, which is why it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If you are thinking today that something in your life is separating you from Jesus Christ, I want you to know that Jesus has already crucified that on himself. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that he who knew no sin... That's Jesus. Became sin. Hear this for a second. We're almost a he who knew no sin became sin. Meaning that the Lord's calling. Meaning that 
No one else in this world may know what it is like to be me and experience the sins I have committed. Knowing that, no one else in this world knows every sin that I have thought, said, or done, but Jesus does. I can fake it in front of a whole lot of other people and so can you, but Jesus knows the heart and he knows every sin. And scripture says that when Jesus was on the cross dying for the sins of the world, every one of those things that I did was taken off of me and put onto him, which means as he was dying for the sins of the world, he knew every sin I and you would ever commit He knows what it is like to feel like us and to be us. But then scripture doesn't stop there. It says they took him off the cross as a dead man and they placed him in a grave and they rolled a big stone in front of the grave and then three days later, what happens church? Jesus said to the stone, move. Why? Because he wanted to walk out of the grave without our sin. He took it on himself to the grave and then he left it there. Which is why I need to be reminded today that when I mourn my sin, I will be comforted by my living Savior who walked out of the grave. And every time I mourn it, can whisper to me through the Holy Spirit, it's not yours anymore, it's mine. It's not just yours, brother or sister, it's his. I'm struggling with getting drunk. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm struggling with my finances. I'm struggling with hate. I'm struggling with bitterness. I'm struggling with gossip or with lying to know that when we say, Lord, help me with that, he will say according to his word, oh, I've already owned it. And when I was dying on the cross for your sins, I thank God. Scripture says he went with joy to the cross, despising its shame. Why? So that he could comfort. Y'all, when I was in Uganda this week, I wanted to comfort a lot of people. I've never seen kids that were days away from starving to death. You know, I've never seen that. But then I come back and I talk to God about it and he's reminding me, but I don't have you there. I have you here. I feel like there, everything's so black and white. You either believe or you don't. You either practice witchcraft or you don't. You either starving or you're not. Everything's black and white. And then I come back here and we're all so good at being on a wide road in the real world while declaring to everyone else that we're on a narrow road. And all the while, maybe the Lord's saying, y'all gotta address some of the stuff on the wide road because it's leading to hurt and hangups and pain. So I've been reminded this morning that Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. What does Jesus say? Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Why is he going to give us rest? He doesn't want us to sit around and not do anything. He wants us to work and to serve, but he wants us to do it with, here's my girl, wants us to do it with him. It's like having an oxen or a bull or a, right? You got a yoke on it. You push it. What does Jesus say? I want to share that with you. Why? Because y'all, I fall down and I mess up and I struggle. But when I do, when I'm close to him, he can remind me and through his comfort of, oh, I've got this with you. When I say things, Lord, I can't do this anymore. So I know I've already taken it. Let me comfort you through it as we trust in him together. Y'all, I pray that you know what it's like to be comforted by the presence of God. Trust him, love him, accept him. Let him remind you of who he is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for this chance to gather, to lift our voices, to hear a word, Lord, to trust in Jesus together. Lord, you know what we're going through. You know that for some, 
These last few weeks have been wild as new babies have been welcomed into the world. And they are celebrating health and life. We want to celebrate that with each other. Lord, for others, maybe not even just the last few days or weeks or months, it's been hard. Lord, remind us of your presence. God, I pray that you convict us of our sin. The world's broken, Lord. So many don't know you. And you want us to share, and we will, Lord, do our best to share with as many as we can. But, Lord, we have to start with our own relationships with you. So I pray a difficult prayer right now, God, for me and for everyone else hearing these words. If there is currently something that we are doing, saying, or thinking that is not of you, Lord, convict us of that. Let us repent of it, Lord. Lay it down. Trust that Jesus crucified that on the cross, Lord. Lord, if anyone in here feels that they've been mourning their sin for a long time, they're just stuck in it. I pray that they hear the second part of that verse that says Jesus wants to comfort us and remind us of how valuable we are to know that he knows more about us than anyone else and he still gave his life for us so that we would always know that we are loved by our creator. In the next few moments, Lord, as we sing our closing song, if there's someone who needs prayer over a struggle in their life or a sin or just a hard time, Lord, may they reach out to a brother or sister in this place and just say, would you pray for me? If anyone here wants to know more about confessing Christ as Lord, let today be the day, Lord. Not just from a man, Diesel, who publicly shared his faith in Christ today. But for anyone else, Scripture says if we confess Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives and believe in our hearts that you have raised him from the dead, we will be saved now and forever. God, I thank you that you know my sin and you see me mourning it. God, I thank you for comforting me in that and for reminding me of what you've already done. Help us, Lord, as we trust in Jesus together. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand with us as we sing our closing song. If you need help with any decisions, you need to talk to somebody. If you just like somebody to pray with you, I'll be up front. My wife and I are here. We'd love to have that chance as we lift our voices.